That has no name. Maybe we should just um, call it Untitled, because that's really the Untitled. Clever. Yes. Well, and so there is my co-conspirator, Matthew Rather. I'm Ryan Shealy, and here we are uh, for the second week talking about uh, popular media that focuses hosting. on hosting the sex lives of uh, of, of teenagers. You're yes, we're hosting. hosting. Yes, I'm Matthew. hosting. Paddle me with the Sotheby's paddle. Yeah, that's good. Well, so you know, Matt, why are you? T- why why is this uh, Sotheby's paddle relevant to the this podcast about sex lives of teenagers? Right. Tell yeah. Me. Absolutely. What do what do teenagers do having sex at Sotheby's? I actually like how the Sotheby's paddle in last night's Gossip Girl was turned into a sex toy. And so we're talking about season three, episode three. Three. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And. Uh, yep. It involved a Sotheby's auction, and uh, so uh, Blair and Chuck proposed using the paddle as a sex toy, a highlight in an otherwise lackluster episode. Yeah, I, I agree, and you know, I think that's what uh, you know. One of the things I do while I watch Gossip Girl uh, is I watch it uh, live, and so I keep my uh, Twitter feed open uh, and 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 take a look at the uh, uh, the real time results for Gossip Girl. And I think that the the early results from the the Twitter sphere were also pretty uh, ambivalent about this. Uh, that this not a great sauce. Yeah, so you thought it was weak sauce. Why? What was it? What was it about the that that made you question uh, your love of gossip? Did it make it? Did it no, make it question? Make me, it, no, it didn't make me question my love of Gossip Girl. But uh, that that's for a specific reason, which we'll get into later. Which is that Gossip Girl, Gossip Girl, Gossip Girl. Here, I'm from like New Jersey now. Gossip Girl is a show that often works very well on the micro level, but just is a shit show on the macro level. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I cash that out a little bit, but uh, I'm, I'm, I, I think I'm, I, I think I like where you're going. That keep, the strength, keep going. the strength of Gossip Girl is in its depiction of details, right? Mm-hmm. The um, and the and the way it fetishizes details, because that's how, in a way, that's how wealth, or at least the lust for wealth, mm-hmm. works. It's you know, right? This sort of American tendency towards an accumulation of things, and I think that like you know, we're one to do a study of like very wealthy people. In in other countries, it would be, you know, it, it wouldn't necessarily be about, like, the nice watch, right? Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm living on the family estate, and I have my, like, great-great-great-great-great-grandfather's watch, right, that was made from, you know, and that that, that, that is that whole kind of old-style European gentility. But the American version is, uh, you know, fetishizes luxury objects. Now, let's bracket well, entirely the moment, for the moment, the question... Uh, or the phenomenon, the more recent phenomenon, that quote-unquote luxury objects are being mass-produced for a middle-class market. Just right. set, the, set that aside and set the kind of the true, you know, the true uh, meaning of the, this, the, the true kind of shift that's underway in the class picture in America. Um, and let's, let's imagine an upper class, if you will, that, it, you know, that is the subject of Gossip Girl. When we think about them, it's, you know, it really is, that's why the clothes are so important on the show. And they, they use the names of, even actually Chuck in this episode, 
uh, talks about my Bottegas, right? Like he's talking right. about an, a, an expensive sort of label, like a, a, a shoe brand. And so in its depiction of these kind of luxury fetish objects in in the kind of at the very micro level in the the repartee and the kind of the the references some of which we were talking about last week mm-hmm. um in this the show works very well, well but as I, far as being something that's plotted over sorry Ryan yeah. I, I well, don't I need think to keep stomping well, you, but, over. No, yeah. So I think before you turn to to what it doesn't do well, I think I want to chime in. There, there's another level of the kind of the what you're calling the micro level, um, which that that it does well, which is also the the relationships. A lot of the kind of relationships, the the sort of dyadic relationships, the right. relationships between pairs of characters are also done very well, or the way that certain you know, paired relationships, whether it's between friends, between siblings, between, uh, you know, between like lovers or boyfriends and girlfriends, the way they kind of cross, cross cut and intersect with each other, um, in the way of, cause these aren't just rich people, but they're, they're the urban rich, they're the urban rich of New York city. And so this is itself a very kind of dense, uh, set of social, social networks. Um, and I think that that, um, you know, that set of relationships and that, uh, that structure of relationships uh, is, you know, is the kind of next level that uh, that these kinds of references to wealth and these kinds of, um, you know, specific trappings and depictions do reasonably well. Yeah, and here's I'm gonna I'm gonna give you one, Blair and Dorota. Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah, is like is really is really well drawn. Now I was listening to some. Um, <laughs> I was listening to some Honest to God Teenagers once. I was overhearing some Honest to God Teenagers with my surveillance equipment that I lug in my in my Predator van to the high school. No, just kidding. That's that's a joke. Uh no, Matt, this is Matt. This is this is a podcast about analyzing these texts. This is not a podcast about talking about how pervy we are for talking about teenagers. And as the host, as the host of this week's episode, I'm just going to go say that is not welcome here. Um, <laughs> you know, and, that is and, over the and line. The, that is a that boundary is, violation. <laughs> that is a boundary violation. I mean, I think you know. I think you have to just take a few steps back and say when you were engaging in participant observation <laughs> as a Amateur ethnographer, or is that too, or is that too highbrow? God, uh, we just, we just can't, we just can't keep on the straight and narrow. On this no, I think of, I, I mean, I, I like to call. I, I'm a gentleman scholar, you know. <laughs> I like to think that I'm a man of letters, you know. But then, uh, but you see, I, I, the, the subject of the podcast is not is not me or you, and we were we were taken to task, rightly I think, for just blabbing on and on about ourselves last week. Point taken. It is uh, our favorite topic, but we will we will return the focus. But anyhow, so you, I so was you hearing some the- actual honest to god teenagers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I overheard a conversation about Gossip Girl, and they were very uh, they were very un. Uh, interested in the class implications of Blair's relationship with Dorota and were kind of gushing about, oh, how they just love Dorota and that, uh, and I think partly that meant like, oh, she's a funny character, but it also meant that like, oh, she's so loyal and devoted to to Blair. And it's clear that their hearts belonged with Blair Waldorf and that like in in some way, in, in their minds, Blair deserves to have a, uh, you know, to have a woman servant kind of running after her or a maid, a lady's maid, right, is the, I guess, the English term, right, for what Dorota is, who, who sort of tends to her all the time. 
But see, I think that there's an interesting, you know, layer to that to that relationship, right? So it's you know that relationship as it's depicted over the sort of now three seasons of the of the show. You know, it starts as that, but then there's some episodes where you know Dur- uh, Dorota, you know, kind of plays the role of sort of surrogate mother, right? Um, you know, in in the face of sort of uh, you know a, a gay absent dad and a sort of workaholic distant uh, mother, and so that, you know, yeah, two unavailable available parents right and so i think that you know that this the 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 relationship evolves and i think that actually captures something that is you know i mean i've never um i i didn't grow up with domestic servants but you know things that i've sort of heard and things that i've read in in sort of uh sociological studies is that this is something that very much happens it's this kind of like uh commodification of of intimacy of one of the more intimate relations which is the parent-child relationship and so i think that this like that the, the depiction of that kind of relationship and then the, uh, adding into that of the kind of, you know, just sort of humor and and small uh, small observations is what the show does well, right? It has the eye of a, you know, almost, you know, it's written with the eye of a journalist or a, a sociologist, right, that, that has these kinds of nuances that a lot of other shows that take on similar topics don't, that, that, that yeah, fall yeah. into types. At that level. At that level. Right. But then when you moved beyond I mean often even sometimes when you move beyond the level of of scenes, right? So you you know you have like in scenes or like storylines within individual episodes that are good. But within whole episodes um but especially within like you know multi episode plot arcs. Right. The show falls flat, right? Oh, it's, so just sh- a, it's just a shit show. This is not, I mean, they could take a lesson from The Wire. The Wire will hold on to something for eight episodes and not mm-hmm. resolve it, and it will just mm-hmm. be an open question. And- or Mad, I think Mad Men is another um, uh, expert yes. where it will hold on to something and then kind of pull the rug out from under you. No, you know, Mad Men it, was it, structured, that first season anyway, was structured like a mystery, right? It was this who is right. Don Draper question. Right, so right. it was, it was, it, it was a slightly it's a slightly special case of narrative i mean the mystery story is a is a special case of <laughs> narrative generally uh um, sure. i guess though i've i mean i've read i've read articles where the 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 contention is that all narrative is a type of mystery story right but right the but i don't buy that i mean it's i i think that's crap it's uh you know it's a special case and so but still you know they don't have to oh and and right like uh the structure of the wire is a long term uh, police pursuit, and it's uh, you know mm-hmm. the the wire is about procedure. I mean, it's so intensely about procedure in a lot of procedure, cases. procedure, and jurisdiction. That's yeah. what the wire is about. Yeah, right, uh-huh. exactly. And and in a lot of you know in a lot of cases that it's like you really just have to follow the process, right. and the um, right. and the process takes a uh, you know just a fucking long time. But Gossip right. Girl, I think you know they can't hold on to anything for more than like two episodes, and and we saw that tonight or last night i guess is right. when the episode aired in you know rufus and lily's love child and right. oh and remember we don't respect any we don't respect any uh spoiler alerts and we don't respect your virgin ears so if you i mean motherfucker right like uh, Kai, uh kaiser soze is kevin spacey all along you motherfucker right. Rose, so Rose, rosebud is his sled you douche nozzle 
So, so um, right. Uh, <laughs> Guys, this is inappropriate and spoilerific. I'm not listening to this again. Um, so, I didn't. Uh, I just, you know, I just want to make it absolutely clear. So, uh, right. So tonight, when Rufus and Lily's love child... A, reveals himself to Vanessa, shoots, the, I mean, the story shoots its wad, and that wad could have, like, lasted through another, I mean, could have lasted to, like, February sweeps, probably, well, or at well, least November sweeps. Well, right, it's almost like the, the show, like, the show does like to create, I mean, this is the failing, it's, a, it's not like it's a show that... Uh, resolves every conflict, you know, within one episode, right? Right. So they create these, like, these kind of... I I think almost every cliffhanger in Gossip Girl is almost destined to be a fake cliffhanger. Right. And it's something that will be resolved in a trivial way within no more than three episodes. Right. Um, And so this this is the case of this. Yeah, this is like the Serena killed a guy thing. Exactly. Exactly. That That is cool. Like, that was actually like, oh, God, finally, something that, you know, a story with some stakes. But like, yeah. Exactly. So for those who are new to Gossip Girl, this this was a plot line in season one in which Serena, the main character, uh, you know, confesses at the end of an episode, I killed a guy. Yeah, yeah. And, when, and when it in, goes, in, in goes fact, to the credits. She happened to be present, right, when a guy overdosed on drugs. That's correct. Um, and that was, that like, that almost, I mean, that was near the end of season one, and that almost, that almost derailed me. I mean, I was uh, upset about that, because it was like, really, they had been, you know, the show had been on fire, it was like, really, uh, everything was firing all cylinders, and then, uh, I think also what happens is that in the episodes where they, like, lamely resolve their the cliffhanger they've set up, they actually wander away from the kinds of um, details and the kind of detailed sort of storytelling and kind of relationship depicting that they do well. So they right. kind of and go in these broad structs to shoehorn these things in. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that's why it was one of these more mixed episodes. But I mean, I guess in spite of that, were there, were there any uh, bright points for you? Were there any sort of references or uh, things that, that you thought still uh, uh, worked within what well, you... I, wanna, I, I, I still want to, I want to talk about this. So I still, yeah, because I'll get to that. But hold on, hold on one second. Like, okay, so revealing himself to Vanessa, like that, mm. the show is shooting its dramatic wad, and in lying to Rufus, as opposed to just like skipping town or something, right? Uh, now, when he comes back to Rufus, there's no more shock possible, right? And the the revelation that, like, it's like, oh, I already know who you are. Hey, welcome to the thing. I'm actually not the brother. I'm actually the kid himself. Right. Oh, right. Like, as as far as Rufus is concerned for the character, I'm sure that's a major re- revelation. But as far as narrative and as far as the effect that it can have on the narrative, they just traded all that away. And yeah. for what? I mean, this character was, was brought on. You know, and seemed like like very creepy at the end of the last season and a little mm-hmm. bit at the beginning of this season. And like that could have a, a real soap opera would have developed that. I mean, would have just kind of had hints of that and kind of developed it. And Vanessa gradually getting more and more suspicious and everyone telling her this guy's bad news and her stubbornly saying, no, 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 you, you guys just don't understand him. He's just misunderstood and, and making excuses and justifying and rationalizing all the lies and whatnot. 
on uh, until, so it, like I say, until like November sweeps. But so, what kind of real? I mean, um, I like. Do you actually have an example of a real soap opera in mind that would that would do this? Like, and and if if this if if this kind of puts uh, Gossip Girl into the category of not a real soap opera, what is the, the tendency for this type of storytelling? How would that lead you to sort of classify it as opposed to other uh, forms of of sort of uh, you know, narrative. Yeah, I mean, I'd call I'd call Gossip Girl like a like a t- like a TV dramedy, you know, mm-hmm. like that. I mean, that word dramedy is something that like comes up in cycles in in uh, you know in television seasons to to describe. Well, and so, how do you are- think that's different from a soap opera? And and what you know what type of you know well, it's like it it the the difference is where it sits on the continuum between an entirely episodic and an entirely serialized show mm-hmm. Epi- uh, you know the the yeah. ultimate example of an episodic show being uh what law and order right where everything everything is a little 42 minute story and or i mean the family guy i think uh sure in- yeah, or The Simpsons, right? Or The Where Simpsons, like, right? There are a few. I mean, occasionally they do do a little fan service and throw in, um, uh, you know, throw in uh, a, a, a continuing plot line or a reference to something that's happened before. But like in what twenty? How long has The Simpsons been on the air? Twenty years. Uh, yeah. I think this is the twentieth year, actually. Right? Uh, in twenty years, Bart has never aged. Right? Lisa's never aged. The parents right. have never aged. Right. Right. Right, Homer and Marge are still in their what mid thirties, right? And right. Uh, and the kids are still Maggie's still a baby, yeah. yeah, exactly, right. Whereas Maggie would have graduated by college, graduated from college now. Had you know, had she uh, been developing in you know the one season equals one year mm-hmm. system that Gossip Girl uses, for example. So right, like so, Gossip Girl may be a uh, an episodic show that is that pretends to be a serialized show. Though that's, I mean, there is some serialization because th- there are plot lines that don't resolve until the first fifteen minutes of next week's episode. Right, but it's but again, the, it doesn't really. It, I agree that it's in a kind of not deeply satisfying kind of kind of way i mean are there other do you know other i mean i think you've watched more is this typical of the kind of teen drama uh the 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 kind of teenage soap opera that probably is like you said more more properly classified well i gotta say dawson creek did it better and glee i think is going to i i i predict that glee will do it better uh with the Mm -hmm. cheerleaders pregnancy story like right i don't think that's going to come out next week i think that there's because there's just they have so many irons right. in the fire story-wise on that right. with the right. wife and with the uh you know um but okay so so returning to returning to our you know our focus on this week's episode right? yeah let's, let's put that on this let's put glee on the back burner but we'll, we'll we'll return to that in a little bit but let's uh yeah let's, re- let's host yeah, let's 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 wring the life out of uh, uh, of this. Of this okay, week's, so the uh, the, the copy of our bodies ourselves that Dan uh, makes reference to, in uh, that's our reference of the week. I think right. That's our yeah. that's our yeah. cultural cameo of the week. And you know, like the best ones in Gossip Girl, it works because you know Georgina. I mean, a, a, a girl in college would have a copy of Our Bodies Ourselves. I mean, I buy that. Uh, Sitting around, I actually—I mean, I—I I remember college, and I saw a number of copies of *Our Bodies Ourselves* sitting on, you know, various bedside tables. 
Um, <laughs> what am I? Am I wrong? Um, I mean, I don't know. I don't keep the the like running bibliography of bedside tables. <laughs> I, I don't have a. I don't have a. I don't have a file for that. It's not one of my endnote folders. Um, wow. You know, running. dissertation chapter one, dissertation chapter two, bedside table books from college. <laughs> running bibliography of bedside tables. Put that in the hopper as a possible title for the podcast. All right. Uh, Right. That so that that was good. Anyway, other than that, uh, oh, you said something interesting, which is that when they are weekly resolving uh, plot questions that could have been done a lot in a much more interesting way, um, they're not focusing on the details. And this week, there really wasn't, uh, you know, there wasn't any, there weren't any kind of wealth fetish objects that were really, um, uh, really focused on in a way that that I found. Uh, interesting at all or satisfying. I saw one nice one. So the concluding scene uh, of the episode, uh, Chuck uh, reveals that he has purchased uh, a whole hotel. Um, And that hotel is actually just about two blocks from uh, the apartment where I lived in New York for the last year and where where, uh, my fiancé still lives. Um, The the hotel is the... uh, the actual hotel is the Empire Hotel, which is right in uh, Lincoln Center, right across... Oh, and they call it the the Empire Hotel in the... Uh... Right, right, exactly. So the there, one, yeah, like, they, a, they, a, they, like Broadway in the mid-60s or something? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's uh, Broadway and at, like, 63rd. Um, and it was, like, right where Broadway and Columbus meet, uh, right, at, right at Lincoln Center. So it's, like, directly – If I think they even panned around at one point and you saw um, the Metropolitan Opera House uh, right there, which is interesting because it's a bit um, – you know, it's a that's that's a bit off of the the Upper East Side. I mean, I guess that that's like kind of a uh, an enclave of of right. Lincoln Center is an enclave of the Upper Upper East Side, right? Because all of, I've seen, I've walked by when the Met or the ballet is letting out, and it's definitely everyone's uh, heading east, uh, heading east <laughs> and north. Um, so right, uh, yeah, right across the park to. Uh... Exactly. Yeah, to their to, Park it, Avenue apartments. Exactly. Their, exactly. You know, so, so it's credible, and I liked that because I, I you know, um, it was it was a credible. Uh, actually, it was actually a very credible reference, even putting it in, in real life continuity, because it's like a it's a hotel that's gone through. It's an old historic hotel. It's gone through some different management shifts. They've actually had trouble having a viable restaurant in there. Um, so actually, it seems like a viable acquisition for uh, the new Bass Industries. Um, and so I. Uh, well, it's not. He's cashing out of Bass. Right, he's cashing out. That's right. So it's the new Bass. It's the new. It's Chuck's new enterprise. Yeah, and I, I actually like. Honestly, I don't love that. Like, I want Chuck to not ever have money problems, and I think they're setting him up to be ruined. You know, at <laughs> some point. Uh, yeah. You know, or to at least have some kind of risk of all his money going away. And I, I, I just uh, look. It's like I don't want. I I don't want that. Like that's something that I just accept about his character. That is that he has money to burn, and that's something that I want out of that character. You know, right? But it's again, it's like it's something that they'll do, and you'll have to live with it for three episodes, and then you won't have to think about it again. Right? Because um, that's what that's what they do. They will. They will. You know, it's that's the thing. Is I think it's like that's what it is. Their sort of plot lines. Their sort of when they go at serialization, it kind of. 
it gives them it like it it, it just it, it's them being a little bit lazy. It, they create a rather obvious kind of conflict that they then write out in some way or another, um, and and uh, and and then move on to the real business of the show, which is like you say, this uh, just in the details. So I think that's I think the big thing for the show is whether they will find a way to kind of you know marry the micro and the macro to right. kind of to embed these, um, these, this, this kind of details in, in some kind of story that works and that is, is self-sustaining. I don't, I mean, I don't know if they will, they will or, or not. I mean, um, it, there's no, certainly no indications in this season so far that they'll go in that direction, but, um, I know. And I thought that I thought having the love child, uh, lurking around New York was one, but uh, right. they, God, they they put me in my place. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I think that um, it, it's it's definitely something that we'll uh, we'll we'll keep tabs of. Uh, I mean, that, that is our job as uh, as the podcast uh, devoted to Gossip Girl and other uh, other media uh, scrutinizing the, uh, uh, the the sex lives of teenagers. Uh, stay tuned here, and we will uh, week by week uh, let you know how they're doing on that scorecard uh, and more. So, but uh, you know, before we. There before we- no, like up. that was good. Hey, that was good, right? Like we didn't talk about ourselves at all. Uh yeah, until just that until just then. Um right. all podcasts, until, you don't understand. All podcasts are about podcasting on some level. Um well we're we're trying our best to 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 break that to break that mold. I think I think we can really build something here. You know, our um our we we had uh um, modest, but I think uh, very positive uh, listener feedback from the pilot episode, um, yes. including um, you know I think let's maybe we'll, we'll uh, let's address some of our uh, uh, listener feedback now. Uh, we had one the haters. Uh, the hate, no, not the haters. We had a we had a nice a nice comment uh, with a lot of different questions uh, from a frequent uh, contributor to the uh, comments on overthinking it. Uh, Gab um, and Gab uh, uh, had a lot of questions about our uh, related to our discussion of Glee. Right. Um, so and we're setting so, we're, we're we're setting a Gossip Girl aside for for a minute. Right. And turning, right. You know. Right. Exactly. So right, so let's and I think at some point in other weeks, you know, I think in some cases uh, there will probably be some amount of synchronicity and Glee and Gossip Girl will talk on touch on similar uh, subjects and we will kind of you know uh, bridge them together into one discussion. I think this week there wasn't as many uh, as many overlaps. I mean, we could probably do it. We may in, in in the in the conclusion, but I think that you know this week let's let's like you said segue over to Glee yep. uh, and 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 take some of uh gab's gab's feedback okay, um so do you want to read this or should i uh i'll uh, I'll, I'll you you read it you're okay. you, you i know i know how much you enjoy listener feedback and so, i love listener well. feedback oh by the way you do you, you uh you know how to get us right you can leave a comment on the show notes use the contact form on the site email podcast at overthinking it.com or uh call the voicemail which is uh 20 fat jog <laughs> Zero one. That's two zero three two eight five six four zero one. Gab writes in to say, "Is Glee really pro teen sex?" Uh, I don't know. Uh, she says, "I think it's showing teen sex as a fact, but in a negative light, as though it's saying something along the the lines of this is the sad state of affairs. Our kids are horn dogs, and we can't 
control them. I think that's not, I don't think Glee is nearly that moralistic. Well, I think that, and there's definitely, a, you know, whether or not it's protein sex, I think it's definitely anti-abstinence. Right. Um, it is um, definitely, because- yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the abstinence people come in for, uh, even if, I don't think it is, but even if the position on teen sex were a little ambiguous, I mean, even if you were to stipulate that, you still have to say that, that the abstinence movement, that the sort of new chastity, right, comes right. in for ridicule uh, yeah. on Glee. No, I think that's definitely the case. And I mean, that's, that's definitely, you know, there's one episode that, that focuses on a, uh, abstinence, uh, was the abstinence club meeting, but then, uh, that's brought, uh, uh, into, f- to focus even more this episode where the, uh, the cheerleader who is the, the president of, uh, right. the, uh, the abstinence club reveals that she is pregnant. And so that, you know, so I think that they, um, definitely, uh, are are pointing out that you know th- they're definitely hammering home where they stand on on abstinence that it's sort of a you know that it, that it's hypocritical and that you know it's natural for uh, for teenagers you know even if if it's not saying hey kids go out and uh, bone a lot like it's definitely acknowledging that you know sexuality is a part of being a teenager and that um, sort of denying that is not the way to go. Right. Um, I don't we, know. What's is your this take? Podcast, yeah, yeah. Is this podcast protein sex? You know, because we actually we got taken to task a little bit for uh, for being glib uh, by a different by a different listener uh, by Heather from Los Angeles. We got taken to task uh, for being glib about our discussion of of teen sex last week. I mean, I, I don't know. What does it mean to be pro teen sex? I think that I mean that that's like it seems to be an interesting and weird dichotomy of anti teen sex pro teen sex. Step into my van and I'll show you. <laughs> right. Well, I know where you stand apparently. <laughs> Uh, or yeah um but no you know i think that it's it's hard to say that i think i'm i'm i i'm pro sort of i'm pro uh, to to not uh, not to wade into another language that's that's uh, uh written with problems but in some ways one is i i feel like with respect to teen sexuality i'm pro sort of choice or pro yeah. you know i, I i'm somewhat oh, yeah. of a why would that why would that phrase open the can of worms <laughs> right um i'm pro i'm pro choice let the kids screw and then abort the babies um <laughs> baby killer so, yeah, um, yeah, this is good. No, but I guess what I mean to say is this. So as um, a, a teenager, I actually uh, did not did not have sex. And I wasn't explicitly abstinent or if I it – was, it was a sort of complicated situation where I, I think I would – you know, make a, a statement that, you know, oh, yes, I am, I don't believe in sex before marriage, but that's because no one was uh, offering this, this premarital uh, sex to me uh, as, as, as a high schooler. Um, and so, so I, I, you know, I don't know if I had a, a firm position on that. I think that, you know, for teens these days, I think that Kids these days, these fucking teenagers, these fucking teenagers, these fucking teenagers, uh, which was another great suggestion for uh, the podcast t- title from one of I, our listeners. Oh, I think it's fantastic. I would like to go with these fucking teenagers. Here's the problem with it. We'd have to uh, we'd have to abbreviate it or do something with it so that it could appear on iTunes, because I think in the titles anyway, 
Uh, in the content, you can say whatever you want if you put the explicit tag on your show. In the titles, you can't... I don't think you can have any like four-letter words or anything. So it would have to be these effing teenagers or some some such, these F-star-star-star-ing teenagers. And that makes it difficult to search for search for the podcast because you, you someone asks you what the title of the show is oh these fucking teenagers you put that into iTunes and you know nothing nothing pops up and how do you know to do these f star star starring teenagers so keep writing in with the suggestions anyway right. it's an right. open question but- for at least another week so, you know, so the thing about these these fucking teenagers, I think that there's, you know, on one hand, there's like a lot of, you know, I think it's it's probably not easy. I think in our in our discussion, we, we I think, you know, knowingly trivialized the, uh, the the sex lives of teenagers. And that it's I think it's very difficult to be a teenager. Well, yeah, very if, difficult. yeah, if you're a teenager, there really is really is nothing more important than the the sex lives of teenagers. I mean, unless you're like someone you know is dying or something like that. Like, but like short of that, like short of a pretty major disaster or, you know, I don't know, not having enough food to eat, like short of like the basic necessities of life not being in place. Uh, boning is really what's on your mind as a, <laughs> as a teenager. Right. And I mean, even if you're choosing not to bone, to, to, to bone it's, it's right. You, like that is, is probably part of your identity so you're 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 defined by what you're not doing right so right. it's 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 never not an issue it's never not on the table um and so i think we're um so you're pro what you are is your pro moral autonomy yes yeah i think and i'm i'm pro i'm pro thoughtfulness um I, yeah and i i agree with you there and i would add i am pro public health as well Absolutely. I don't know. Public health is overrated as a as a public good. I mean, <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah, no. no talk I, about, yeah, right. Like, just visit sub-Saharan Africa too. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, no, I think you're absolutely right. I think that's you know, if I get outraged about things about uh, about sex education, um, is 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 the resistance of of talking about things like condom and and the bullies? I mean, not to make this a you know a podcast about uh, the you actual know. sex lives of teenagers as right. opposed to the representations, which of is which is boring, boring. Right. Um, well, that's I mean that's the thing. Like teenagers are the wretched of God's earth because they're so horny and smell so bad. Sorry if <laughs> if any of our listeners are teenagers, you really Let's need go a shower. We're we're really like yeah I was I was a smelly teenager man it's like we we just can't help but but trivialize these teenagers um, these kids these fucking teenagers these fucking okay teenagers. so I'm gonna take Gab's uh, I'm gonna take the rest of Gab's comment yeah go for of, it I think I, of, I said gonna, my piece I'm gonna take it out of order okay. Uh, and we'll we'll deal with the, we'll deal with the second question last. I'm going to go to the third question. Um, the authors of the, uh, she says, you know, in your defense, because we spent a lot of time kind of navel gazing about whether we are the right people to do this, considering neither of, uh, of us is a teenager or really in the target audience of the shows. Though I think we are actually in the target audience of both shows, um, being you know urban. Uh, uh, professionals in various, you know, on various coasts and in various fields and things like this. Um, You know, in your defense, the authors of these shows are all older than you, right? Uh, So if they have the the right to write them, you have the right to analyze them. That's not like, so Gab here, that's, you know, that's not the case, right? Like uh, late 20s, early 30s, like you'll find a lot of guys in writer's rooms that are that are that age. Uh, 
you know, they may not like have made it all the way up to, um, they may not have made it all the way up to like producer, you know, right. but, uh, you know, they're, they're in there chugging out, you know, episodes, right? Like churning out, churning yeah, out the definitely. scripts, you know, two scripts a year, three scripts a year, whatever it is. Like, uh, it is, it is not, you would see in a television writer's room, uh, certainly a couple guys, uh, around our age. And she also wonders about the, the, um, uh, the relationship between all this titillating and kind of boundary pushing program on on Fox and uh, Fox News, totally separate. Just as a matter of fact, in the entertainment world, uh, you know, let me just preempt that and say they are totally separate silos, right? The people, the people in Fox Entertainment. Uh, you know, it's run out of a studio on Motor and Pico in Los Angeles, and those are totally separate. Guys. I actually, it's on my way to school. Uh, it's right. on my way to grad school every day, so I see like whatever they're promoting in their huge billboards. It was like House recently, I guess. Oh, in the Cleveland right. show. Uh, right. But well, um, I think I, I think I saw uh, the cast of uh, Family Guy did a Inside the Actors Studio once, and I, I think that that came up. And and Seth MacFarlane said, "Yeah, it's just different. Um, you know, they're 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 different ships. Totally, um, yeah, yeah, totally, totally different things. And even though they're both News Corp owned." Uh, yeah. it's not, you know, it, they, like, they are, like, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. Okay, yeah. now to this really interesting question. Um, Gab says, Gab contends, the anti-marriage stuff is really more pro-patriarchy. Uh, notice how the problems in the marriages stem from weak men and overly assertive women, or, uh, there are other kinds of problems, too, that the women have, um, right, like, uh, and that, you know, it's the women that, that, cause all all the problems in point of fact that's not strictly speaking pro-patriarchy that's misogyny which is a related but different (laughs) phenomenon but like okay so like let's let's again i don't think glee is that simplistically moralistic but let's take up the question ryan do you think do you think glee is anti-woman in some way I mean, it's it's. I, I've yet to to see it really uh, portray a woman in an unambiguously uh, a female character in an unambiguously positive light. Um, right. I think that nearly every female character in the show that I can think of is either you know set up as an antagonist or is sort of severely weakened in some way or another. So you know the wife. Uh, is you know faking a pregnancy uh, and is uh, attempting to essentially steal a baby from a teenager uh, right. to, to to not have to even come clean about the that fake pregnancy. That teenager right fooled around is the president of the abstinence club and fooled around on her boyfriend and so right. it's like you know and then is like tying him down now that because mm-hmm. he's going to do the responsible thing. Her right. her coach. Uh, the Jane Lynch character is essentially a man, right? But she's an awesome man. Uh, I mean, she's she she's great. She's she... fantastic. I mean, and Jane Lynch is is fantastic, pretty much in everything. Yeah, I was I was a little skeptical um, when I saw some of the previews and I think saw the pilot. Yes. I felt like she was playing too much, playing her character from Best in Show and her character from Forty uh, Year Old Virgin. Uh-huh. Um, you know, doing the same voice, the same faces. Actually, that character in Forty Year Old Virgin was a man originally. 
Oh, that's right. I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but she does I, that. I mean, like, she gets that, like, authority figure, sort of tough as nails, take no prisoners, kind of charging forward, sort of broad. Like, she gets those, and she does, the, she does them really well. So you- well, and I think what's, what's been making her character work is that it's the, the things that, like, in this um, most recent episode, she has a segment on the, on the local news, um, and, and it involves her taking things like uh, pro-littering stances uh, and, and sort of... Uh, what like saying to homeless people hey why don't you try something like not being homeless for a while um and she just sells it i mean either the writing's good the ad libs are good um yeah it's uh it's not a not a character you would sympathize with right right? and And same with and so the the redhead yeah the the major love interest uh was that's Gemma mays or yeah that's who it is right uh, I think so. The major love interest, um, you know, is, is 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 cute, is sympathetic, but it, you know, suffers from like crippling OCD um, and also like a weird kind of passive uh, uh, crush on a uh, you know unrequited crush on a on a married man. You know, so that and you know, so she's an obvious person that you root for, uh, but is not really certainly is not a female character that it, which is strong to use you know i think some terminology that shana used uh at one point uh in a post over a year ago but is 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 a still a more problematic uh female character but i don't know what that i mean what do you think all of this adds up to is do you think and, that and uh, let's add that the the asian girl and the african american girl are essentially non entities Right. Uh, they're they're, as far as, you know, they're kind of more a gimmick. I mean, I, you know, I don't know. The black girl has uh, actually had a really good number. The Asian girl is, um, is, has, I think, said three lines the whole, uh, the whole, ep- the whole series so far. Right. And so, right. I think, right. The African American girl, they gave a good storyline. I think that they actually were, are working towards making her more of a character. Um, with the, but, oh, where she, where she like fell in love with the gay kid. Right, exactly, exactly. Um, and, then, oh, and then the final female character is uh, Leah Michelle from Spring Awakening. Uh, oh, right, Rachel, yeah, yeah. Uh, who's, the, the, who's sort of grasping and ambitious and sort of – and it's presented as kind of an ugly thing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you you don't feel bad in the pilot episode when she when they show the image of her getting the like the slushy thrown in her face. You don't really feel bad about that, right? Um, and even they sort of show her right ratting out the the choir teacher for a possibly false charge of uh, of of, of uh, harassment um, of molestation. So right, so she's not starting off. You know, she's also a kind of a manipulative self-serving character right so so if all you knew about women was from watching glee right so if you you know had never been in american society or an alien and and you wanted to learn about uh about about uh men and women and you watched glee i think you would you would uh come away with a view that women are sort of manipulative uh the women's main role is to 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 prevent men from achieving that which uh they they are destined to do or something like that. You know, it's that the women are a constraint. Women are a burden or something like that. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Do you think that that is something that, I mean, I guess the time, uh, only time will tell as to whether that is like a, actually something that is a real aim of the show or whether it's something that, uh, 
that they're going to start yeah, complicating. I mean, look, I mean, my questions are, like, are the men really that much better? And, mm. I mean, yeah, mm. the, the men are the men are better, but, um, but I mean, I guess the men are sympathetic anyway. Even the homophobic father, right, is, a, like, actually, I, one of the things I really liked, I thought they handled that moment pretty well, yeah. where he's like, yeah, you know what, I'm not thrilled about my kid being gay, but, like, look at you, you know, like, I've known it. You know, since you asked for a pair of sensible heels for your third birthday, right, right, and, right. Uh, good line, by the way, <laughs> right. Uh, and like, um, you know, right. And that's that's the other thing. Like, I don't buy. Uh, well, what's the character's name? Mercedes Jones, played by the actress Amber Riley. Now that I'm looking mm-hmm. at the IMDb page, I don't buy her not uh, not knowing. Uh, that the gay kid is gay, right? Oh, I think that was that was denial. You know, I think that I think you can uh, uh, denial is an extremely powerful force. I mean, I think she knew but didn't want to know. Right? Is, um, it, uh, is it just a um, is it just a river in Egypt? <laughs> it is not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, so I think I think it's just an aside, you know, whether or not, you know, even though the jury I think is still out uh, as to whether Glee is is misogynistic, is definitely not. Uh, I, I would say it's definitely not heteronormative, you know, and it's definitely not homophobic. I think it's treatment of the last two, in the last two episodes of sort of uh, of Kurt's coming out first to Mercedes and then to his father and sort of his. You know, main role in the episode with the whole single ladies dance and as the kicker. I think you know. Um, well, right, I think this that, is going to be our idea that, that like, hey, the, the football the football team could stand to gay up a little. Right, right, right. Um, no, I think that that was that was nice, and I think that it's actually you know I'm sure. You know, it's actually, you know, Gossip Girl has also dealt with homosexuality, but in a very, in this kind of way that we were talking about before, of it was a kind of a cliffhanger plot line, Uh, you know, uh, Serena's uh, little brother is outed, and then it's not really, I don't think it's really been, I don't think he's had an A plot you know, since that that uh, episode, and since the sort of mini plot art where he was outed, and so he's just kind of the um, you know, just a a kind of a sidekick character, and so and he wasn't even. I don't know if you noticed, but the family scenes, like they didn't even call that actor for those right for those scenes in this last episode. He just you're right up here. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so I mean, so that's definitely not central to Gossip's Girl's agenda. Whereas I think it it is. You know, I think I think Glee is too early on to know exactly where it's going. I mean, there's definitely a lot of they're 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 definitely stewing uh, they're definitely um you know stirring up a nice goulash um but uh we're, we're, i don't know how it's all going to uh i don't really know where that metaphor is going um <laughs> but anyhow it's a great goulash yeah it, well you know it is i think it's a great goulash too you know who doesn't like it is Belinky from uh from overthinking it Wait, and- see, he doesn't like the wire either so well, he doesn't no it's or just twitter. like well yeah or twitter like yeah i guess matt takes positions against against things kind of just on principle like maybe as though if if he's a stick in the mud like there may be some good comedic material in it but uh yeah. you know okay so um but he has watched glee and this is what he has to say about it i'm not quite getting glee uh i don't hate it i just don't see what all the fuss is about it's not that funny the characters aren't that interesting and the plots seem pretty bland desperate housewives did the fake pe- pregnancy thing a couple years back 
the main character, Will, has yet to develop a personality beyond nice guy. He's not a nice guy, Matt. He's a put-upon nice guy. Come on. (laughs) The only part of it I really like is Jane Lynch, who plays the villainous cheerleading coach. She's amazing to the point where she threatens to overshadow the rest of the show. Uh, He says, I feel like I'm missing something. Is he missing something? No, I I think that... Okay. (laughs) I, no, mean, uh, I think that his assessment might be might be right, but but it's just that it's not to his taste. You know, like if, if you want everyone to have those those really sharp edges, like that, uh, like that Jane Lynch character, um, okay. But then it becomes like the least successful of the Christopher Guest movies, where it's right. just uh, you know, or or some of the you know the quote unquote quirky cinema recently, where people are just kind of the sum total of their eccentricities. Well, and- how do you how 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 do you think um, how do you think Glee is similar to or different? You know, I think we're you know we've talked often about how we're in a high point of um, a, you know a golden age of serialized drama, That's but right, I think yeah, we're yeah. also in an equally high point of like of like thirty minute or I guess Glee's at one hour, but of of sort of uh, of TV comedies. I mean, right. uh, you know, we're only if still only a few years out from Arrested Development. Yep. Um, Thirty Rock is going on a, a good clip. Yeah, the yeah. Office, great for the last few episodes uh, or for the last few seasons. Um, uh, Community just premiered, and I think is is extremely promising. So, where how do you see? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, Community, uh, Community was good. There was some great. I love the rap. I love the uh, Bibliotheca rap. In uh, it's good. Yeah, no, it's. Uh, but well, I think Community. I, I, I don't know if we will shoehorn community into this podcast at some point or maybe just in the regular overthinking. I mean, some of the community college students are late sure. teenagers. Sure. So, all right. It fits. The, the, late, the late teenagers don't seem to have a sex life. Uh, no. Like I, I, like, I don't know any of the names of the characters. Like the former football star and the Little right. Miss Perfect girl, right? right. Like they, they – Really, the show is right. about, the Little Miss Perfect. Uh, that's uh, Allison Brie, uh, who is also uh, plays uh, Trudy on Mad Men. Um, plays Trudy Campbell on Trudy Mad Men. Trudy on Mad Men. She's right. Pete Campbell's wife. Yep. Yes. I did. Sorry, I didn't even make that connection. She's so. It's funny because she looks so young in the one, and and so kind of mature and with it in the other. Right. 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 Wow. Well, let's let's pull it back in and then yeah, and yeah, then, yeah, right. then take it home. So let, I, what I was going to ask is, you know, because I know that Blinky is a fan of some of the other. You know, lots of people that read the blog, that write for the blog, are, are fans of a variety of these. Especially Arrested Development is yeah. the kind of holy grail of of recent uh, a TV, TV comedy. Uh, how do you see Glee as you know? fitting within that you know and and how is it different how do you see it being different from some of these more revered comedies do you, do you think it, it has already earned its place among that pantheon do you think it's no. um you know a contender and uh you know what do you what do you see i think i think glee has a different project than uh than arrested development one of the things that distinguished arrested development was that it was not presentational at all Right, and that it was cash like, out. What do you What do you mean by that? No, uh, it's cash out. Is this Is this the new unpack? Right, in, uh, <laughs> in complet, they used to say unpack. You have to unpack all the things from your from your observations. Yeah, it's, so when you unpack scientist? it, you're planning on staying a while. When you're when you're cashing out, you're hitting the road. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, uh, the idea of like presentationality in art is is like is it very consciously staged for the benefit of the audience? 
or as you know as a lot of comedies are and like uh, a lot of TV comedies three camera old three camera comedies so called because they were shot with three cameras filming the action uh, at all times and uh, in this you can count like The Cosby Show Home Improvement uh, Cheers you know Frasier uh, well actually I you know I didn't watch Frasier I should I shouldn't say I think the set in Frasier was a little more complicated um, but like so you have three cameras rolling and you know uh, basically doing the two close-ups and the and the two shot and mm-hmm. um, uh, right and and they're done in front of a live audience and like they're done it actually took like three hours to shoot i went to a couple of home improvement tapings when i was a kid and it took three hours to shoot an episode of home improvement and like they would just go straight through it like a play like very rarely i mean if something went wrong they would they would go back and do the scene again but generally they would just do the play and now they did more material than they actually needed so that they could cut it down in the editing room they could choose the most successful jokes but they recorded they recorded the audience and so you're actually like in that moment you're really you're playing for the audience you know and Mm -hmm. for a live audience and it just and it's being caught on on film so that's a there's kind of a a self-consciousness about that that's that is presentational it's like we know Mm -hmm. we're doing a show arrested development the style of it it's no less artificial right i'm not saying it's closer to to uh, uh, naturalism or actual reality. And, and in fact, the show was really whimsical in a lot of ways. But there was a sense that the camera was catching private moments, right? There was a, a sense of the show not being staged. Right. And I think that something, when you make a comedy that is a musical and that is about a glee club, like about a show choir uh, that puts on performances, it, has a, it just has a different character because presentation mm. and the presentational character is part of the, uh, is part of the fabric of the show. And actually, I, I think it's a, an interesting, you know, the, the thing, I mean, it's funny, it's, it's no secret, I don't... I don't um, like talk about it. I am in an MFA program in acting at uh, at UCLA, uh, which I started. And one of my professors said something interesting recently, which is like, as far as professions go, the one that you should compare performing artists to. Uh, the idea of performance, the one you should compare them to is athletes, right? Because it's like, at this day, you know, this is your day and time, right? And you show up to do your job. You show up to kind of deliver the goods, you know, at this day and time. Whereas, whereas you as an academic are slightly more flexible, right? If you happen to be most brilliant at three in the morning, you can write your book at three in the morning. Or if you happen to be most brilliant at three in the afternoon, you can write your book, you know, at three in the afternoon. Right, right? but being a teacher, being a yes. teacher is much more like being a performer. Well, that right? is, Actually, yeah, that has more that performance quality, right? Absolutely. Than, than I guess being a scholar per se does. Right. Well, I think that actually that that dovetails perfectly with uh, that the main plot of the last episode of right. Glee. That's, and right? that's Where, why I wanted, yeah, that's why I wanted yeah. to bring it up and because I, I think see. that that link is made really explicitly, and so that even the football players, you know what I mean, are putting on a show. In, yeah. In Glee, and that 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 character, that ethos of putting on a show, is. Um, uh, uh, you know, uh, pervades glee, which is not to say it's not brilliant in its own way, but it is sure. to say it's a different animal. But it's, it's interesting. I mean, we'll, I'm sure we'll take this up in future podcasts. But I think that um, you know, two of the other shows that I listed uh, have elements uh, of of this this kind of presentational uh, quality. Uh, Thirty Rock is also about putting yep. on a show, um, and actually, even The Office right has this you know the the kind of has this mockumentary style to it, right? Um, yeah. the, there's this the, frame story. The frame story is about what someone's doing a, a documentary on Dunder Mifflin, right? 
I guess so. It's unclear. I mean, it's been going on for a while. They've really yeah. Like, they, <laughs> like, how long does it take to shoot a documentary on a paper company? Oh, right. Exactly. Actually, Blinky actually had a a great post uh, sometime last year in which he kind of wrote a little bit of almost fan fiction about the documentary. It wasn't almost fan fiction. It was. It was. It was. Fair enough. He wrote some fan fiction. And and some you might be tempted content. not to call it fan fiction because it was um good, but you know, though I shouldn't say that there, there are a lot of people who like fan fiction, who listen, who read our who read our site, and you know we we like them. I uh, yeah no I like the I like the ones I like the Draco Malfoy Hermione fan fiction. That's what I you know speaking of the sex lives of teenagers. You just can't you we, we, we you know. No, I'm doing my best. So I think I think what we've shown here is that this is not this is not a two person problem. All right, um, <laughs> that's fine. So yeah. and please, you know, please direct all future criticism rather at overthinking. Yeah, uh, yeah. All, all complaints about uh, pervy talk about the sex life of teenagers direct to uh, rather at overthinkingit.com. All general comments, please uh, direct, and all praise, uh, please direct to uh, Sheely at overthinkingit.com. Yeah. Yep. Uh, or, or podcast at overthinkingit.com. Yep. I don't mean that to go into the exit sequence. Matt, do you have any parting shots before uh, we, we pull the ripcord here? Yeah, it's, uh, I, I just want to say you can use the contact form on the site, leave a comment on the show notes, or call the voicemail. I'd love to get some, some voicemails on this show. Um, 20 Fat Jog 01. <laughs> That's 203 285 64 Zero one. Did right. I get that right? Yeah, we don't really have a we don't have a sign off for this. Oh, and I'd like to you know this realism. The question of sort of realism uh, came up uh, in I guess the open thread on overthinking it. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Mark uh, Lee called out some of the, the called out some of the things about uh, Glee and said that it inter- interfered with his enjoyment of the show. Uh, that that they weren't realistic. Um, it, to what extent, Gossip Girl? Uh, I mean, there. Th- God, there are so many ways to to tie. I mean, that's a whole. That's, five uh, that's, in that's, that's another topic. But for I want to. So, but here's what I want to do. I want to invite uh, actual, honest to God, high school students, if there are any listening to the show, to write in or call and tell us about your uh, your feelings about Gossip Girl or Glee, uh, as far as it. It reflects your actual high school experience. It reflects maybe certain social realities or it represents certain certain social realities or it reflects maybe an ethos, right? Like a, a character, a mood uh, that goes to uh, what your what your actual experience as a contemporary uh, secondary uh, school student is like, or or a college freshman, because now Gossip Girl is about college freshmen. Yeah, oh yeah, sure. Um, if you're in college, yeah. Oh, if you're in college and want to uh, want to take Gossip Girl to task for what I'm sure are its many many inaccuracies, especially if you're an NYU freshman. Actually, yeah, that be awesome. If you were an NYU freshman, we actually probably would bring you on the show as a special correspondent. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. Uh, we don't have a so, sign up, so, so bring it, bring it uh, do you do you just want to do the do do the standard or <laughs> how, 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 uh, you're the host. You can do the standard if you want. All right. Well, anyhow, uh, do t- tune in next week. This is now a regular thing. Uh, yep. Hopefully, by next week we'll have a we'll have a title. Hopefully, Gossip Girl will uh, be back to uh, its usual quality. But in until then, weeks, in, t- in two weeks, we'll probably spin it off to its own feed. 
Uh, great. So keep it. So I guess you'll keep getting it on the uh, on the uh, podcast subscription or on overthinkingit.com, the website that subjects the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't doesn't deserve. deserve. You guys are always so slow when you say that. So I, you know. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Thanks for repaying the favor.